Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the episode where our dog is not gonna stop tonight, and so we're just gonna have to power through it. Um, it's you, fucking snowing, Natalie. You might be hearing Torgy barks all the way through this episode, because this is about the fifth time we've tried to start, and every time he starts barking the second I start talking. So, um, yeah, we're back this week. We needed a week off. I'm still fucking exhausted. I'm assuming you are too, after the day you've had. <laughs> I can't talk about the day that I've had. No, nah, well, you actually will be able to by the time this goes up, but I, I understand. I, I prefer to keep all of my dealings that are pertain to a certain thing out of my podcast. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> well, okay, a I certain part I of a to, certain thing. I try not to name it for the sake of the rules that I have to follow. Yeah, yeah. But anyone who Googles my name will find it pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, you've never said your full name on the show, so. It is on my website, though. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, well. Yeah, rip me. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm Natalie, your host. I don't think I said that. And that's my co-host, Hadrian. Uh, don't Google him. And uh, we're back this week to Thanks. talk about um, more alternative albums from the 90s that's what we do on the show jesus christ <laughs> it's been an exhausting weekend i, I hate the post office post office sucks and that's all sucks. i'm gonna say about that and it sucks even more in december yeah it, well it, it, someone should you know perhaps the government should hire somebody to maintain the post office's self-serve kiosks that's all i'm gonna say uh, you know they probably did have someone before the trump administration decided to set the post office on fire uh, yeah that's that's true i've never had great experiences with the post office i know they're put under a lot of undue stress but for fuck's sake it's it's been a real bad experience the past two weeks with the post office and yeah. it, it did not in, increase my enjoyment of this week's first album which is uh from 1990 right Am I am I right on that? I fucking I, forgot to even look. I will look it up. Yeah, look it up. It's 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 facelift by Allison Chains. That's the actually no, it's it's ninety one. I remember that now. Um, I'm gonna say that and then I'll be wrong. Uh, it went gold in nineteen ninety one. I, I know I put that in my notes. Nineteen ninety. Okay, came out in nineteen ninety. Certified gold in nineteen ninety one. First first grunge album to go gold. Four months before, never mind. Is it grunge or just Metallica light? It's, they're from Seattle, so it's grunge, apparently. Because, yes, it is... Poor man's Metallica. So this album was produced by a guy named Dave Jordan. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. It's like J-E-R-D-E-N. Um, who basically got the producer gig because he was like, so you guys are slowed down Metallica. And Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Change is like... You you nailed it. <laughs> and then they made this album together. And it has slowed down Metallica. And spoilers, I don't like much of anything about this album. Uh nor I. I mean I still I still really like Man in the Box. Yeah. Well we'll get to that. So let's I want to talk a little bit about Alice in Chains, because I did not know this about them. So in nineteen in the mid eighties um, Lane Staley, who would become the singer of Alice in Chains, was in a band called Sleaze, spelled S-L-E-Z-E, -E, and they were a hair metal band. You don't say. And then he that that band split up, and he formed a new band called 
Alice in Chains, which was in apostrophe, and they were a hair metal band. And then, like, you should see, you should see the fucking picture that I saw of, of Alice in Chains as a hair metal band. And it was not the same band other than Lane Staley. But then they broke up, and he took the name and made it Alice I in Chains, and then the rest is history. The rest is boring, boring history. Um, so yeah, there was like, this is a band that is only on this show because they are called an alternative rock band. <laughs> but I mean, this is an 80s hard rock album for the most part. Like, aside from it being slowed down, it's Metallica meets butt rock. Yeah. Mostly Metallica. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it does not seem like they had. Oh, the, oh, crimping! Oh my god! Yeah, this one is that Lane Staley. It is Lane. Holy shit! Just Lane just, Staley with long crimped hair and smoky eyeliner and a tuxedo shirt with a bolo tie. Oh man, that's uh, some, some choices. He actually doesn't look nearly as gross as he would go on to look when he cut his hair and got kind of greasy um yeah so there doesn't really seem to be any indication that this was a band that gave a shit about being like a college rock band um they were obviously they came out of a glam metal scene to, to whatever extent that existed in seattle and were heavily influenced by metallica and got when they got signed this album was originally put out for I mean, it was marketed to metal radio, and it kind of failed miserably at first. It apparently sold, like, 40,000 copies before MTV started playing Man in the Box, at which point it took off in a big way. But even then, Man in the Box got to number 18 on the mainstream rock chart, but not, it wasn't to the extent that there were alternative rock charts in at that point. It wasn't on them. Um, I mean, it's very much your your dad's automotive shop music. Yeah, well, and then they went on tour. They opened for Van Halen. They opened for Poison. Oh, my God. And then they also opened for um, Anthrax and Megadeth, at which point they were, like, booed off the stage <laughs> routinely. Um, so, I mean, they were kind of... This is a weird-ass band in that lane staley has to be the only guy who was in a hair metal band and got more famous because of grunge than he otherwise would ever have gotten yeah that that's that checks out because i mean they were touring with bands that were killed by grunge like poison and van halen uh, i mean van halen you you can say you can debate how how permanent that killing was with poison. It was definitely permanent. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, none of them ever recovered from from that. But I mean, this was a band that, because they were from Seattle, got lumped in with with Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and and Nirvana, who they sound absolutely nothing like. Yeah, I would never have classified this as grunge. It just, it's like, oh, you happen to be from Seattle, therefore it's grunge. It's like. No, this is this is just slowed down Metallica. That what what genre of music is that? Metal, probably. Yeah, and that's why I would have just left it. Yeah, um, it seems like they were well liked in by the other bands. Like Soundgarden apparently loved them. I, I doubt Nirvana liked them because Nirvana didn't like anybody. It, um, but 
it does seem like they were genuinely part of that scene as people just musically it's so different and so not really alternative to Uh, anything um because it just sounds like i mean there is straight up like guns and roses ass butt rock on this this album oh for sure and like it's like listening to it it's like it was all like the same but not in not in an offensive way just very yeah that's that's more of the same thing you've been doing with the last three songs. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's got a somewhat strong start. Um, like "We Die Young" is the opening track, and that was actually the first single off the album. Which I don't, I mean, I've, I don't, I've never heard that song get brought up in a alternative context. No, because that's that is the most Metallica Metallica song. Oh on yeah, the album. you expect like Inner Sandman to just start at some point in that song. Yeah, and and then it goes right into Man in the Box. So we should talk about that because that is like a genuine. That is the one song on this album that I feel like is a like alternative rock classic in in terms of how it's remembered. Um. Yeah, it was it was a crossover for a lot of other things. Like it was the song that you heard in every automotive shop in the nineties. It I still like it. I don't know why I like it. It was Tommy Dreamer's theme song in ECW. It, it was indeed. That that might might be one of the reasons that I was so familiar with it, but like I don't know. It's it kinda works. It's a little bit plotting, but like it's that kind of like like plotting that's fine (laughs) yeah well and it has so it it has a couple of things that make it stand out it has that talk box riff Mm -hmm. which is obviously like uh, you know you you weren't hearing a lot of talk box in the early 90s so that (laughs) instantly is like a not i don't know if i want to say it's a throwback but it's just a a unique thing for the time that you just you know it was kind of a very 70s rock star effect to use um and then it has a chorus that's very hooky and not in a butt rock way yeah i mean like the the other times the album gets melodic at all it's it's like um put you down and i know something about you which are just total guns and roses like pop metal songs um man in the box though has that chorus which is it's not a butt rock chorus it's not a metal chorus um and i think that really does that is why it gets classified as as grunge because it really that 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 sound is more identifiable with grunge than it is anything else they were doing right and and there it's weird that they were pushed so hard as metal because there aren't really like guitar solos on this album there are but not like you would hear, I mean, nowhere near as technically proficient as a metal band, which I think is probably why they were so poorly received when they would tour with, like, Megadeth. Yeah. Because, you know, you see Megadeth is a just fucking straight-up thrash metal band who's going to come out and shred your face off, and Alice in Chains comes out and does a plodding opening set with almost no guitar solos. What was that, that terrible fucking band that opened in front for... Uh... For My Bloody Valentine? Yeah. The... It's like something Martha's Vineyard Fairies. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like that. That's that's what that was. What, that was the reaction. Allison Chains is better than that. That was the most boring band I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, the 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 bassist for for uh, my bloody Valentine. My, for my bloody Valentine was in the audience near us. Yeah. The, yeah. Deb was, was 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 standing like 
five feet away from us, not enjoying the opening <laughs> act. <laughs> As well she shouldn't have, because they sucked. Um, I would not say Alice in Chains sucks. I mean... They're not really my music anymore. It, I listen It's to... so not anything that I give any fucks about, but they're... Lane Staley is a good singer mm-hmm. for what he does. I, I don't like his voice personally, but objectively speaking, like his voice, I can't imagine anyone else singing for this band. Yeah. He, he is the perfect singer for this band. I, I just take call into question some of his lyrical stylings. Okay, hit, hit me with this because outside of Man in the Box, I was not paying any attention to the lyrics. Okay, so, so. The, the, the song Real Thing, which is a just a masterpiece of, ugh, why did you say that, ends... With the words sensual chocolate. Sexual chocolate. Sexual chocolate. It's a reference to coming to America. But why? Why do you need to add it? Because he had just watched Coming to America probably and just yelled sexual chocolate at the end of the But the thing is, he used he and I confirmed this with uh, a friend in Australia who's seen Alice in Chains live, that every time they perform that song, he ends it with that phrase. And I'm just like, and he was convinced that it was just something he did on tours. I was like, no, 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 it's on the fucking album. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. It, why? I'm like, exactly. And that's really just what it is. It's like the lyrics are middling to best, very. They're not even trying to shoot for anything other than this is some imagery I want to use or this series of words I can sing pretty well. And it's very a testament to lyrics as function rather than importance. And I think that's the vibe that I got from Alice in Chains overall, is that the lyrics serve to make a sound. (laughs) Nothing about this album outside of Man in the Box stands out to me at all. No, I mean, Real Thing is probably the most problematic, but yeah, I mean, We Die Young is fine, but I had this on in my office and I was like, how much more of this album is there? And it was like, on Love, Hate, Love, and I was like... That song, so okay, so Jerry Cantrell, their guitarist, called that the masterpiece of the album. Oh my god. That song is so fucking boring. Again, it's just, it, it's just Metallica, though. And that riff is just Metallica. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one, or a really slowed down Inner Sandman. There's this, um... Which I, I don't think Inner Sandman had come out in enough time for them to have ripped it ripped it off, but this sounds a lot like when Metallica started crossing over to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, it does sound a lot like the Black Album, which I guess is what Metallica slowed down sounds like. Yeah, there's, so there's a, there's a YouTube channel where they'd sit children down, or teenagers, people that were born in, like, the early 2000s and beyond, uh, down and have them listen to music that they don't know. And I think if you set those children down and had them listen to some instrumental pieces from Metallica and some instrumental segments from Alice in Chains, they would not be able to tell them apart. And that's unless they knew anything about how much more pro- proficient Metallica was at music. Yeah, man, I, I just don't know. It's We've talked for 15 minutes about this, and I think that's plenty. <laughs> Oh, that's fine. I don't. I just have nothing to say. Like we have to do Alice in Chains because they were part of the alternative rock scene. But like this album is just, and I mean, this is probably gonna be the one I dislike the least. Hmm. Um, we'll we'll see if that holds up. It's the one I'm the most experienced with, and I remembered I I didn't remember much about it at all because there was a time in my life I I had this album, and now I 
I don't know where that happened. Well, I find it very unmemorable, personally. Mm. I mean, most of the songs have no hook, no solo that you can latch onto. I mean, it's just a riff that gets repeated. So it's it's very competent. Um, like I said, Lane Staley is a, is a very good singer for this band. Um, he he stands out more than anything. I don't think any of the guitar work is like terribly exciting or or creative. Um, it's all right. We'll have we'll have a something to talk about next week that's a little better than this. Yeah, I'm I'm picking something something that's maybe not great but is better than this. <laughs> That's all we can aspire to. So, um, yeah. It's, but that it's, being said, I don't think it deserves to be on the rock bottom because I don't think this album no. is necessarily terrible. It's just, it's there. I mean, it's, it's so, well, let's talk it out because it, it's close to rock bottom for me on its, on just purely on its merits. But Man in the Box is like a definitive early 90s grunge hit. Yeah. And um, when you, and if you want to set a scene, you play Man in the Box. Like that's. This how it works. So, I mean, on its merits, I would probably well, purely on my taste, this this goes like at sixty five, <laughs> and that's too low. Um, I think it probably deserves to be closer to sixty one. I think that's a reasonable place for it. Yeah, because what I was gonna say is like I like Uncle Anastasia like a million times better than this. Like it, as far as a grunge album, um, I like Throwing Topper a thousand times better than this. Yeah, and I would be fine with putting it above those two because of Man in the Box, but I don't think it's a better album than either of those. Yeah, I th- I think it's I think it pushes Eve six down and just takes sixty one. I think that's probably a a good place for it okay yeah i mean our bias against american rock bands continues but that's that sounds like a good place to me because i man in the box is literally the only song in this album i like and i do genuinely like that song but it's just everything else about this album was just so boring and we'll get to american rock albums that are better than this we just have to find them yeah yeah it's I have some plans for future episodes of like when I want to dole out some major, major American rock albums from the 90s. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, like we haven't done Nevermind yet. And right. That's, well, that's one of the ones that I'll tell you off air my, my plan for Nevermind. But um, but yeah, like it's it's guaranteed Nevermind is going to rank higher than this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely love Nevermind. So um so yeah, but so I don't we don't hate grunge or at least I don't. I just I don't think it has aged well at all. It hasn't aged well at all. I think that British music has held from the 90s has held up so much better than American music from the 90s going back and listening to this stuff. So well, yeah. Well, that's the problem with these kind of movements is that like they when you are writing music to fit a a, a sense of place versus just creating a bunch of music that gets lumped together in a sense of place. It's completely different. And I feel that a lot of grunge was like, they all knew each other. They all were, you know, coming from the same nihilistic perspective. Not everyone, but a lot of them. And it just sort of melded into this, yeah, I'm glad we outgrew that. Meanwhile, you get things like, you know, Oasis, where however much I I feel about that Oasis album we've done, you're probably still going to like that more than you're going to like anything on this album besides man box yeah i mean i guess if you're like a hard rock fan you wouldn't but 
I'm I'm not I'm just not a hard rock fan, and like there's not a ton of metal that I just really love. So. I have my moments. I I don't have my moments with hard rock. I I do with with metal. Like I mean, there is certain there's some metal that I think is really creative and interesting. There's just hard rock is just it, it's just kind of a dead end genre. I feel like like all anyone ever did with it was like imitate the seventies. Yeah, I mean, like and, Zeppelin and and Leonard Skinner are like. You listen to those things, you're like, yeah. And then it didn't progress. Right. Because, like, fuck, Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple, what does he do now? He has a band called Blackmore's Night where he does fucking Renaissance Fair music. Right, which is much better than... <laughs> Actually, honestly, yes. Most of hard rock since the 70s. <laughs> um, you know, aside from Van Halen, who who actually were creative with it. And, like, metal went in a different direction. And they yeah. And I think metal has a lot of creativity behind it because every... Most metal musicians are incredibly competent. They are, they excel tremendously at what they do, and then they just fuck around and they make something beautiful. They make something off and off putting. And yeah, and that's that's how that's where metal's creativity comes from is just from the intense, intensely high level of musicianship you get from most metal bands. And this I mean, band, say what you want about black metal, but they can still play fast as fuck. So they're still very competent musicians. And here, this Alice in Chains in general feels like. A guy who couldn't cut it as a hair metal band because he wasn't as confident as the people who were in hair metal bands. And that doesn't mean that he's bad. It just means that, like, there's a marked difference between what this sounds like and, like, Poison. Yeah, I mean, Poison... And I didn't I didn't listen to hair metal Alice in Chains, so I don't know. They, they might have been. But, like, Poison could actually write a catchy chorus. Like, for as bad as hair metal is, and, it, like, we've talked about, it's, like, an irredeemable genre. But, like... Poison could write a hook. I fucking love some Twisted Sister albums. Like I, that's not hair metal though. That's uh, it, that's that's hard rock. They 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 played with the image. Yes, with the image, but not not musically. But we are way off off topic here. So. Well, let's break this album and move on to the next one, which yep. is much better. This is this is sixty one. So uh, facelift by Alice in Chains, going between Uncle Anesthesia by The Screaming Trees and Eve Six by Eve Six, and we will come back and talk about Pulp. We are back with our second album for tonight. This one is what year is it from? I forgot to put the uh, so song, the fuck, album I, titles on my notes. I, <laughs> let me pull this up real quick because I want to say this was ninety two. Well, no, so oh, there's a whole story, so I have to yeah, go yeah, I have to go through the whole yeah. story. Okay, well, it's Separations by Pulp is the album. While yes. you're pulling that up, all right. So which it, is their first album of the nineties. Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> It was originally recorded in 1989, and it actually uh, was released in France before in 91, before it was released elsewhere in 92. And so, yeah, uh, Pulp almost didn't exist before this album was done, because they just didn't like what happened with Freaks, and they didn't want to keep going. What In what sense did they not like what, hap- like, with ha- what happened with Freaks? Was it, did it just not get supported or did they think it was a bad album or uh yeah it was it was mostly that 
they were moving out of one place in their lives and like Jarvis was in school and everyone was just sort of like going their separate ways. Uh, and then they came back in to do separations and that really rejuvenated the sound of pulp because I think pulp freaks and uh, freaks yeah. and freaks and before just doesn't have the same resonance that separations later does. And I think it took a little bit of a little bit of a break, a little bit more of creating their own sound and playing with their sound that pulp became the pulp that you know. And this is the album in which pulp became the pulp that you know. Yeah, or started to. I mean, there's some stuff that sounds like. So, so freaks to me was kind of like, I don't know how if this album was an influence on it at all, but um, it, it that album kind of reminds me of like a more a a, a version of uh, Sid Barrett's Madcap Laughs not made during a legitimate mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah, like it's an album that's intentionally fucked up and kind of creepy. It, it like creepy pop. Um. But but like done intentionally, whereas Madcap Laughs is like a man having a breakdown and it's getting recorded, which like I I I liked that album, but it's I can also see why people say it's exploitative and shouldn't have been released. Uh, yeah. Um and and separations really breaks from that. Um it, the first song lyrically doesn't. Yeah. Um it, love is blind is the first track and it's the lyrics to that song like it's a much more danceable poppy take on on the band's music but lyrically it's still in that space of you know the future is shining like a giant metal beast with its <laughs> legs open wide and then it has the middle eight where jarvis like talks sings about the buildings collapsing all around him and which, which is I mean, weirdly it's... like the ending of the Fight Club movie, which would come out years later. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if that influenced Fight Club at all. Um, I don't know when that book was released, but well, yeah, and I think the ending of the movie—I've never read the book—but I think the ending of the movie is totally different from the ending of the book. But anyway, um, so it, it, the first song feels like okay, this is getting the last of freaks out of our system, and then it turns into much more slick, polished, disco-friendly pulp from there. Jarvis Cocker clearly started listening to Nick Curry's music, and it went like, oh, fuck. Because there's a there's a, a marked turn into momusness that happens in this album. And I, I would say it. that that happens in the title track, Separation. Oh, fuck Yes. <laughs> <laughs> where it's just okay so i mean we joke about the momus reference of the week and this is a case where we know that it's an actual influence yes um because jarvis talker and nick curry did like hang out like there there is video out there of of the two of them like just talking together and i believe he wanted momus to produce an album for them right i don't i don't know about that it wouldn't surprise me but it's clear that they, I mean, they knew each other and and there was some, I would say, two-way influence between them, but probably more of Momus going to Jarvis Cocker than, than the other way. Mm -hmm. Because it, I, I remember Momus once saying something about having to watch Pulp get famous. Uh, <laughs> 
and and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was something uh, that played to me as seeing this band that that I feel like largely got a lot of ideas from me <laughs> suddenly getting extremely famous. <laughs> the night is cold and dark and she is all alone. The bed is empty now. Her body screams for love. She wants to be with him, but he's he's so far away. You know, the night is dark between them now. My God, my God, why did he go away? <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, just musically separations, because it starts off with that violin mm. buildup with, like, the panning strings, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And then when you think it's going to, like, blow up, instead it drops out completely, and this chintzy drum machine comes in <laughs> going, boom, 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 boom. And it's, like, just the most fucking momus thing I've, that you'll ever hear on a pulp record. It's just, yeah, there's just a, a vibe, and I think what, and one of the reasons that Jarvis Cocker and Nick Curry are some of my favorite singers of all time is just they have a very resonant presence in their voice, and, like, you know when they're doing something. And in Freaks, Jarvis was still trying to sing and not be Jarvis. In this, he let it go, and he is Jarvis. And you start getting like, like, oh man, he is just a skinny weirdo making weird motions and having a very breathy, lusty voice while saying very sinister things at times. And you're just like, yeah, I like Jarvis. Yeah, and also doing some very momus talk singing oh, at yes, times. Very, like, very this much. is the album where he really starts doing the... like Jarvis is a very good singer, oh, yeah. but also he he does a lot of just you know, his deep breathy voice just talking about weird shit. And 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 Momus can sing as well, but he his real sound is this presence that he presents when he does the talk singing. And that it, it really conveys a personality and both of and Pulp really gets by on the working class socialist smarter than you personality that Jarvis has. Because you, you get a clear sense of who he is once he starts doing the talk singing. And you're like, yeah, once he lets his accent in. Because his accent was never really gone, but he definitely lets his accent come in more. And it just makes, that's why this album is so good. Because <laughs> it just, it is it is a giving, like, letting go. And you get to things like Death 2, and Death 2 is a fucking banger. <laughs> Death 2 is my favorite sound of this album. Um, yeah, I like Countdown a whole lot. Pretty, which, pretty... Countdown, which would basically be re-recorded as She's a Lady on the next album, because mm -hmm. on his and hers, um, which I, She's a Lady is, is much better, but it's a much better version of that song. Um, but here it's it's more, it has a more traditional structure. It, it still has that stomping, like, 4-4 four, four beat. Um... But it also has a way more like conventional chorus, verse, chorus, verse structure. I think something that's interesting on this one is uh, Don't You Want Me Anymore. Yes. Because Jarvis would write this song over and over after this, but he would not be... Like, in this song, the, the singer is the pathetic one. Mm -hmm. Because it's the song about, like, I've come back to town to take back my love. And then, like, the joke at the end of the song is, like... She's found herself another lover, and she's glad we made the break. It, like it's just this incredibly grandiose, like you know, it, delusions of grandeur kind of kind of narrator who's just like, I'm going to come back and take over this town, and, and then instead it's like, 
oh, now she's just fucking someone else now and wants nothing to do with me. Whereas yeah. in songs after this, Jarvis would put himself in the role of the person she's fucking. <laughs> he, he wouldn't really be this pathetic sad sack again after this album. And I think songs like Lip Gloss kind of like take the piss out of this too because he's making that character the character of Lip Gloss. Like all that you live on is lip gloss and cigarettes. and Yeah, and... Uh, um. Pink Love is the, mm-hmm. maybe the closest he gets to that, where he talks about... But but even then, it's more like he's looking down on, on an ex for, like, oh, so now you're, like, wearing pink lingerie, huh? But yeah, like, I, God damn it, Jarvis I, I really look forward to the other Pulp albums from the night. I love this album, but, like, his and hers and Different Class are... We had to start here. So great. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we did, because this, this is the turning point from pulp as weird completely unmarketable indie band to like Britpop just complete fucking powerhouse that made common people that there would be no common people if, if they hadn't done you know countdown and love is blind first yeah i love the break on this because you know albums used to be two-sided but not everything was a cd and side two starts with countdown and then that is just like blows your face off with how the like the abrupt shift and what this song what this album sounds like yeah and and i love their their flirtation with acid house because it doesn't even feel that way <laughs> no i mean they've taken it, it like it was just in the air in england in the early 90s you you knew acid house but this doesn't like there's nothing on here where you listen to it and you're like Oh, just another Acid House record. Like it, it's way more than than that. Yeah, there's a B-side song. I think it's called Jubblies. That never. I don't know what it was a B-side of, but that one is way more Acid House than anything else they've ever done. And it's just Jarvis Cocker talking about boobs. <laughs> is this house is condemned? That's not Jarvis doing the talking in that song, is it? I, it sounds nothing like him. I think it is. Let me make sure. Uh, Russell Sr. Yeah, I, I didn't think that was Jarvis. Yeah. You, I th- say, take, I take that back, you know when it's Jarvis. Even when he was... So we, we can't talk about Relaxed Muscle on this show as an album, but when uh, Pulp ended, uh, Jarvis did a just gross and amazing thing called Relaxed Muscle, and he tried to be Darren Spooner... And tried to hide who he was by wearing gross skeleton makeup, and then he opened his mouth, and you're like, oh, that's Jarvis Cocker. <laughs> he opened his mouth to seeing, I roll my woman with a rod of iron. <laughs> Which, boy, would that not go over in 2020. No, and and what's hilarious, though, is he partnered with the guy uh, he did Relax Muscle with to do the Harry Potter uh, songs for Goblet of Fire. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. I mean, spin around like a crazy elf is still a good line. I know. It's, I just I wish nobody good had been in those movies. Oh, well, you can look at it this way. It was more the relaxed muscle partnership, not Jarvis Cocker, so there you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really love this album, and the more I listened to it, the more I was like, man, Separations is pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very good. I do think that... Uh, down by the river is not great. No, and I, like she's dead is fine. It's it's one of their like big 
60s british pop songs that they do occasionally they're you know the they're patula clark bent that's why death two is so good because um, it it is it's death two on this album and then it just very in your face and this house is condemned is fine i mean that that is the acid house track mm -hmm. like i mean the you could say my legendary girlfriend is influenced by acid house too but not nearly as much as this house is condemned um it, but it's i mean i still enjoy that song just fine it, it's just not particularly special but i love my legendary girlfriend that, that I song's do too. incredible and and again like if you think forward to some of the more non-traditional non-traditionally structured stuff on his and hers um my legendary girlfriend feels like the starting point for for when they start exploring more like giving jarvis space to just go out and jarvis it up yeah and it kind of started a little bit earlier on with a uh, girl of my nightmares uh but like again it just hadn't hadn't solidified into jarvis presence it's not the it's not the guy who would later go on to write the song cunts are still running the world like it's <laughs> oh god that song is so good yeah, and, and I'm tempted to describe this as them finding their confidence, but like Freaks is very confident. Oh, for it, sure. It's very confident in a in being something that just had no commercial future whatsoever. Yeah, and this was definitely them rebranding in a way that's like, what would sell? I don't fucking know. Let's just do something. And then they did it and it worked. And like sometimes that kind of experimentation is what's necessary. You just look at what doesn't work. It's like, what if we just let Jervis talk? Yeah. We should just, Jarvis, you should just talk. He's like, yeah, I was going to do that anyway. And, uh. <laughs> right. And so I don't, it, like, Pulp to me is, you know, like I said about Pavement and arguing that Pavement should be ranked, you know, ranked more highly than, like, something like 10 by Pearl Jam is because that album had a really strong influence for a very short time. And then it became extremely passe. And I feel like that's kind of the dynamic between Pulp and Oasis where like oasis was way bigger at at the time but i feel like pulp has influenced i mean how much indie music today is disco rock like whether or not it's directly influenced by pulp pulp like kicked the door open for that oh show. and jarvis is still a tastemaker if he likes you your star rises exponentially compared to if he didn't like uh beth ditto of uh what was the band that she was in uh was it the xx no, the gossip. The gossip, yeah. So Beth did with the gossip. Like, they're from Arkansas, and Jarvis heard the gossip, and then was like, "All right," and just like plucked her out of Arkansas, and they started touring together, and they she just shot up as a solo artist. In the same time, he was giving he was shit talking both the Killers and Green Day, trying to diminish their presence. And I felt like he was shit talking the Killers from a place of like, "Hey, don't burn yourselves out." Though, like, I felt like he didn't hate the Killers. He didn't hate the Killers. He doesn't like Green Day, but he's justified in no, not liking just, Green yeah, Day. Yeah, it just means he gets But I think he saw a little a certain bit. Point. I think he saw a little bit of himself in Brandon Flowers, so he was just like, "I'm going to talk about the Killers." Because there's definitely some we listen to. We listen to Pulp. Oh, the, the Killers, Killers absolutely listen to Pulp. Because, holy shit, that whole, like, second Pulp, uh, Killers album is just a love letter to Pulp, but in, set in Utah. God, I forget they're from Utah. But yeah, so this is a really... It's not important in the way that, that his and hers and especially different class would be, but it's important for getting the band from their completely avant-garde, atonal, you know indie indie pop they were doing too 
It's a band that stopped Two giving a fuck. Albums. Like they stopped giving a fuck about feeding, uh, fitting a standard. Which is really funny because again, Freak sounds way more like a band not giving a fuck than this does. <laughs> but but if you think about it in like how the rest of the music unfolds, the 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 pulp sound becomes uniquely of the pulp sound, and before many bands could have had a similar vibe to Freaks. And I think that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, there was other atonal indie rock, you know, that preceded Freaks. Um, and and it, it was, yeah, I mean, this does feel like a band that was, again, I mean, kind of similar to Alice in Chains, actually. Like, they could have stuck around and been kind of a mediocre indie rock band, or they could have done this and become massive stars off the back of it. <laughs> So it it worked out for them to even though like I'm sure that there were people who had that oh my god pulp sold out moment when they heard this album for the first time. But the pulp didn't sell out. They kicked the fucking door down and were like we're here to be socialists and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is a this is a really good record. Um, I I I don't know if I would quite say I think it's a great album, but it's very close. If it if it if it's I think not. it's a quite a good album. And I think the more you listen to it, the the better you think about it. Like, you just... And this is a thing with all of Pulp's music to some degree. You listen to it long enough, you go, that's a warm hug of a song. Even though it's not a particularly pleasant song. Well, that's a weird way to put it, but... I would not describe anything from Pulp as a warm hug, but... <laughs> but... Uh, Miss Shapes is. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. If you are a downtrodden, intelligent person who hates all of the rich wankers. That song's more of a high five to me. But <laughs> Anyway, let's rank this and, and, and end the show for this week because we're both tired still. Yep. Where does this go? Uh, I think it goes uh, probably at 15. Um... I think it's definitely better than Flood. I would put it above that. Okay, if you want to do that, then tell me where you want to put it, because I'm I'm all ears. It, well, I want you to swing for the fences, because Emmerdale is always a, a, like, a tough hurdle to get over for me, because I love that album so much. But, like, I think this is a... I mean, I think Ultimately a more important album. I think it's easily a number nine. Um, okay, I was I was hoping you would think that this, this was top ten. Um, I mean, I do, I, I also, do think it's top ten. I would put it above Kill Uncle for sure. Um, I, I wouldn't put it above Slanted and, Slanted and Enchanted, so I, I'm really happy to put it at number nine. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fine. I mean, I'm, I don't want to kick that Bowie album out so quickly, but like that one was a was a courtesy to <laughs> me more than anything else. Yeah, I didn't want to be the one to kick it out of the top ten, so I'll do it with an album <laughs> that I love also. Yes. So. Yeah, and and I also love this album. So, uh, yeah. So we're gonna put separations by pulp at number nine. All right. So we have an, another change to the top ten. At number ten, "Kill Uncle" by Morrissey. We have almost gotten it out of the top ten. Doesn't <laughs> time for me to pick another Morrissey album. That's fine because all the Morrissey albums in the nineties are better than "Kill Uncle." Uncle's really good. Shut up. Um. Number nine now is Separations by Pulp. Very happy to see Pulp in, in the top ten. I, every Pulp album is going in the top ten. Oh, Just yeah. get ready. Like, Separations is, is 
okay, this is hardcore, might not, but it, it, it still might too. Um, uh, number eight, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Number seven, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number six, Spooky by Lush. Number five, Barry by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number one is Nonsuch by RTC. Okay, you say this about this is hardcore, but I remind you of, I heard no girlfriend turn to the church. <laughs> She's trying to replace me, but it'll never work. True, true. This is I hardcore mean, fucking rock. This is hardcore has some great lyrics, like some really underrated lyrics. I I have I just need to listen to it more cuz I I love dishes and I love the title track. Um I just I haven't listened to it enough to say off the top of my head if it would go in the top 10. Oh man, I know I'm just thinking about Jarvis Cocker is a great lyricist. He he really is. Especially in the 90s when he, he wrote a song just... about fucking Billy Jack that slaps, okay? Oh that's easy though. Come on. <laughs> also, Jarvis Cocker did it, so it really slaps. Yes. Um, so if you want to see our complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. It's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you want to see a playlist with every song that we have ranked so far, you can go on Spotify and search for nr1990s. And we're going to add two more albums to that playlist for next week. What are you bringing, Hadrian? Uh, I'm bringing one that's probably going to be a little polarizing and was listed as one of the best albums of 1997, so get ready for that one. Sehnsucht by Rammstein. All right, and I am going to do an album by one of my absolute favorite bands that I think is one of their worst albums. And that is uh, Wild Mood Swings by The Cure. Whoa. We're, we're skipping Wish for now. That's fine. Um, we can, we can, you know, it's the cure. We can go back to Wish later, but I mean, I, Mint Car is fine. No, there's good stuff on, we'll talk about it in our suite. There's good stuff on Wild Mood Swings, but as an album, it is a mess. And I will say, we will, we will be listening to the German version of Sehnsucht because you have to hear Till Lidman's voice in German. Uh, there is an English version available. It's not as good. I don't know why you would want to listen to them not in German. Uh, people just really... That album was such a success that they, they did it, and they haven't really done that since. All right, well, that's all for this week. Um, we will hopefully get back on a normal recording schedule now. But we have, I don't know. I'm not making any promises with Christmas and New Year's coming up. Like It's going to be a little rough. <laughs> it's December. We're allowed to, a little bit of, of hecticness. And like my me personally, has this has been the... The last two weeks of my life have been a fucking maelstrom of stuff. So, I'm excited to get past that. I'm I'm excited for you, too, because I've had to watch you live through it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's the show for this week. Um, if you like it, tell your friends. And if you don't like it, tell your friends and, and tell them how much it sucks and how much they should listen to it. Yeah, share it. Tell, share our podcast and say, this sucks, don't listen to it. And yeah, then, these assholes put all the British bands in the top ten and, and all the American bands at the bottom. Do we have anyone in the top ten who's not British? Pavement and Magnetic Fields. Okay. We we have maintained two 
<laughs> American bands in the top ten for quite a while now. Okay. They, they have changed because we we dropped uh, Pearl Jam out. And Placebo, technically, they're not British, but... But they're very British. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, Brian Malk was an American who went to school in Luxembourg and lives in England, so... Yeah, yeah. So, but again, we'll we'll start, you know, maybe around a milestone episode, we will start having more american stuff and and it, i mean because we're gonna do all the british bands before then <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm holding on to some there are some british bands we haven't done yet yeah there are yeah so I'm, there go, are. I'm gonna do some more japanese bands after christmas when i can afford to go out and buy pizzicato 5's whole discography because none of it's on spotify that sucks yeah but i'm I'm excited about saying sucks. have you ever listened to that album nope i've cool. barely listened to that band i'm I'm gonna avoid saying their name because i feel like i'm gonna mispronounce it it's... you you can you can pronounce japanese i can't pronounce german rammstein rammstein okay i don't know where to put h's in in my german words well they don't have an h in their name i know but you pronounce it like like it there there is one sorry <laughs> it's also... All right, we should talk about this off air so we're gonna end the show here and we'll be back next week with rammstein and uh the cure